Good morning. Uh, Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we are just thankful for you. Uh, We are thankful to have this time to worship you, the Lord, through song, the Lord, through giving, and now to continue to worship you um, through the word. Uh, The Lord, I pray that um, everything that is shared this morning honors you, um, that it challenges, that it um, encourages the Lord, that it is a reminder of your love and the faithfulness of your son, Jesus Christ. The Lord, thank you for using me, your flawed servant. We lift this time up to you. Amen. So as we continue um, our uh, Lenten uh, series, uh, More Than Words, uh, again, the thought process behind this is this constant uh, reminder uh, that Jesus' uh, last words from the cross uh, were a call to action, um, that we call them the seven last words, but each word, each phrase, um, each thing that he shared was in some shape, form, uh, shape or form, a call uh, to action. Last week, Reverend Kelly Johnston uh, reminded us about the challenge and call of forgiveness um, and what it means for us as believers uh, to forgive those uh, who have wronged us. And as Jesus proclaimed from the cross, as he uh, was there in pain and all the effort it took, uh, him being really breathless and not even having the ability to barely speak, that one of the things that he took time to utter from the cross was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, That is constantly a challenge, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, to forgive those who have wronged us, but it's the call. Uh, Even as Josiah was sharing his story, um, I can think of a number of terrible things that I did to my sister that she has forgiven me for. um, And even beyond just being the brother who tore uh, dolls off of heads off of dolls and uh, burned doll hair and uh, any number of things that I probably shouldn't share because I don't want you to judge me. Uh, I'm just reminded that we are all in a constant need of forgiveness. Uh, But as we move on to this next week, we also know that in verse 43, Jesus proclaimed from the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, But there were some interesting things that happened uh, before we get to that phrase. Uh, So in 2018, um, there's a very pivotal scene uh, in the Marvel comic blockbuster Black Panther. I don't know if you got a chance to see the movie, but I'm a Marvel comic movie person. Can you guys see this image? So this scene is a very pivotal scene in the movie. If you've ever seen the movie, you know that this is the part um, where Njataka, the cousin of T'Challa, newly crowned king of the fictional uh, country Wakanda, uh, is challenging his cousin for the right to be king. Uh, he kind of comes out of nowhere and the people are kind of arrogant. Like there's no way that this 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 guy can uh, beat T'Challa, who is also uh, the hero of Black Panther and has recently become king because his father died. And not only now does he wear the mantle of Black Panther, but he wears the mantle of king. Uh, and Jataka, who uh, is the son of uh, his uncle, also has a fair claim to the throne, and he's come back to Wakanda in an attempt to overthrow the government. And in this particular scene, uh, they are challenging uh, each other. And when they begin to fight, what happens is Jataka, for some reason, is like beating the tar out of T'Challa. 
and the people stood on the side watching this happen. And they saw their king, Sachala being beaten. He was bloody. He was battered. He was on the ground. And in the face of imminent defeat, and Jataka yells out with some uh, uh, surety, is this your king? T'Challa, the Black Panther, lay there bloody, beaten, right before he's thrown over a cliff. And then Jataka yells out, is this your king? Well, because we know he was king, we know that that question was rhetorical. But what we also know is that Njadaka was really making a statement. What he was saying is, is this the person you're choosing to follow? Is this your king, your Black Panther who is laying here, beaten, torn up? He couldn't even beat me in a fight. But this is the person that you're choosing to follow. This is the person that gets the honor of being a hero. Is this your king? Is what he yelled. And the people stood on the sideline watching in horror. But brothers and sisters, I wonder if this is what the people who were uh, at the foot of the cross felt like as the, the, the leaders mocked Jesus. Jesus who had been beaten beyond a point of recognition. Jesus who was forced to carry his own cross to Calvary, who was beaten, who was bloody, who uh, 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 was within inches of his life. Jesus, who was then nailed to the cross. Jesus, the king of the Jews, who was forced to suffer crucifixion, which was saved for only the worst criminals and people in life. Then being nailed to the cross, he was, they, they, they forced the crown of thorn in his head before they raised him and set him in between two criminals. And above his head was a placard that said the king of the Jews. And scripture records that the leaders mocked and laughed this king of the Jews. I wonder if those leaders they mocked and laughed were saying very much like in Jataka or as the comics called him Killmonger, is this your king? Is this your king bloodied, hanging, from across is, is this the person from whom your salvation is supposed to come? Is this your king? Is this your king that saved so many people, that raised folks from the dead, that restored sight to the blind? But when uh, the, the, the rubber hit the road, he couldn't even save himself. Is this your king? Is this your king? And so what the scripture says in this chapter, it starts out in verse 36. It says, the soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. This kind of harkens back to what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians, that as you respond to the message and the, 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 um, the message of the cross, the foolishness of the cross, that there are two people, two types of people. Either you are a mocker or a believer. 
Either either you, you you see the message of the cross, you see the work of the cross, and you mock and you laugh and you ridicule and you proclaim, is this your king? Or are you a believer that that sees the work that Jesus is doing, that understood like he proclaimed in Matthew that the Son of Man must suffer and die and understand that this was very much part of his mission to die on the cross and suffer for our sins because the believers understood that Jesus didn't come off the cross because he couldn't save himself, that he didn't come off the cross because we couldn't save ourselves. And so his death on the cross meant salvation for us. And so as the message of the cross was presented, as we saw Jesus's mission being lived out, the realization was that the cross separated the mockers from the believers. And we have to ask ourselves, which ones are we? When we hear the message of Jesus Christ, when we hear the message of the cross, will we respond in belief or will we mock and say, this can't be my king? So, brothers and sisters, the first thing that we realize today as we respond to the cross, either we are mockers or believers. And I want you to ask yourself, which one am I? You know, we might want to assume that because we are here in the room today that we are believers. Many of us call ourselves Christians, but oftentimes our lives mock the very things that we associate with. So ask yourself, am I a mocker, or a believer. The beautiful thing about this aspect of the story is that we see still, even in his dying moments, that Jesus has compassion, that Jesus has love, and Jesus is still even doing ministry in his death. You see in verse 40 where um, in response was verse 39 in response to the mocking, the two criminals who were in a very similar position. And again, we realized that those who were crucified were crucified because they were the worst of the worst. The thing that they'd done didn't just need jail time. But, but the, 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 the leaders had decided that these folks needed to die. And so Jesus was up there with them. And it says this, it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we're, for we are getting what deeds, our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. The interesting thing about this is because we know uh, that one of the criminals goes on to ask Jesus to save him a place in his kingdom. And depending on what tradition you come from or what text you read, sometimes it'll it'll say that one uh, uh, criminal was a murderer and the other criminal was a thief. But most traditionally, they are just referred to as criminals. And I think that that was intentional and purposeful. That neither one of the criminals were really given um, or, or assigned what their actual crimes were. And here's why that's important. Because, brothers and sisters, we love to kind of put hierarchy to sin. Amen? We, we love to kind of say, like, well, yeah, you know, I'm a liar, but at least I'm not an adulterer. 
right? Uh, you know, I, I may steal, but at least, you know, I'm not assaulting folks, right? We, we kind of always try to differentiate and kind of make sure as we look about, as we look around sin and say, well, there's, there, there's levels to sin. I do this, but I don't do that. And I think that if, if they had assigned the crimes to these criminals, then we would have been easy, it would have been easy for us to say, well, oh, well, there's a reason why Jesus accepted this criminal's plea. Because what he did wasn't that bad. But the reality, brothers and sisters, is because the crime wasn't named, we only see that at this moment, one of the criminals had a conversion experience because he, he recognized the power of the, and the purpose of the cross. He recognized who Jesus was. And he said, save me a place in your kingdom. And what that reminds me then, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what you've done. You only need to believe. Brothers and sisters, so many of us, and we talked about this Wednesday, carry guilt and carry shame and carry regret and carry all of this baggage from the things that we have done. And most of the time, all it really does is separates us from the love of Jesus Christ. And just like the song said, Jesus Christ's love for us is so reckless. He goes after us. He so desperately wants us to be in relationship with him. And most of the time when we stop and we look and we take note, it's not that Jesus is not near to us, but it's we are allowing our guilt and our shame to separate us from him. And so in those moments, when your heart is desiring closer relationship to Jesus, when your heart is desiring to be connected with God, the thing that often gets in the way is our shame and our guilt and our understanding of what it means to be accepted. And I believe the message that we get from the cross this morning is that it doesn't matter the mistakes that we made because at the point that we accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that there's a place for us in his kingdom. The murderers, the liars, the stealers, the drunkards, the adulterers. And I, and I wonder what it would look like if the church began to accept those who accept Christ the way Christ accepted those who accept him. I, I wonder what it would look like if we took the barriers away it's that you only need to accept Jesus to be accepted here. And even if you haven't yet, here's a community of believers who love Jesus so much that we can accept your flaws and allow you the opportunity to let the Holy Spirit do the work that we can't. Jesus Christ's work from the cross, even in this dying moment, was setting an example for us of what it means to be a body of believers. And in that moment, Jesus didn't remind him of his past. Jesus didn't remind him of his mistakes. Jesus didn't say like, hey, I'm innocent, but you're up here because you're a criminal. Jesus simply replied, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Brothers and sisters, as we, as, we, as we look at this second word from the cross, I believe one of the actions that we are being called to is radical acceptance. Not radical acceptance of sin, not radical acceptance of, 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 of mockery, 
but acceptance of people who are desperately trying to figure out what it means to serve Jesus. And what does it mean for us to make a place for all of those who walk through the door so that they can understand and feel the transforming power of the gospel? Because, brothers and sisters, if there was limitations or criteria for who could walk through the door of the church, I promise you the church that I grew up in would have burned down. Now, I didn't do anything that would have put me to jail. But if this was like... (laughs) But I know that it was the prayers of the righteous, that it was the power of the Holy Spirit, it was a community that I found when I, even though as a, as a pastor's kid, like I, I didn't, I didn't want to go. And I, and I struggled. And as we talked about Lita Larry's uh, criminal childhood stories <laughs> over the past week, I got a few of my own. And I'm sure that many of us, if we really take a true inventory of our lives and of our hearts, that there are probably some things that would disqualify us from the world standards to be here. But I thank God that the world standards aren't God's standards. I, I thank God that, 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 that he more so is concerned about my life being transformed by his love than he is about me being perfect. And so this criminal who proclaims Jesus on the cross gets acceptance and gets invited into the kingdom God, I believe that we are being challenged to be a little bit more accepting and a little less exclusive than we've become. And so Jesus from the cross reminds us that what you've done, where you've been, and who you were before you accepted him doesn't matter. But there's another thing that I notice. Because the thing that we also see is that this criminal is also at the point of death. This, this, this criminal was not somebody who was born and raised in a church, who was born to a good priest and has spent all of his younger years serving in the synagogue, helping prepare the, uh, prepare the communion table, sweeping up in the temple. This, this wasn't a, a person who knew uh, the Torah front to back and could speak the scriptures in a way that just rivaled the priest. This wasn't a, even a person who accepted uh, the message of God at a Jerusalem camp. Um, and <laughs> or a young life. But this was a person who was at the point of death. And in some of his last moments, got the revelation of who Jesus Christ was and made a decision to accept him for who he was. Which also reminds me of this. That not only does it not matter who you were before you accepted who Jesus Christ is, it doesn't matter when you accept him. Now, I know for some of us who have been in the church our whole life and have allowed the love of Jesus Christ to shape our decisions. So it meant that we didn't do some things that we maybe wanted to do. Kind of look at this and say, man, you know, I could have held out for another couple years. I could have waited till after I got done partying in college and then got saved. And much like 
the parable that Jesus taught during his lifetime about the workers and the owner when uh, the folks who came in and worked the very last part of the day got the same wages as those who have been working all day. There is no uh, statute of limitations on when you can accept Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm sorry, you were 50 when you accepted the Lord. Mm, it's too late. Oh, I'm sorry, if you, if you wait until you're in critical condition, you can't accept the message of the gospel anymore. Like, no, there's no statute of limitations. There's no timeline. There's no time frame. So just like it doesn't matter who you were or where you've been of what you've done, it also doesn't matter when you accept, as long as your acceptance of who Jesus is is sincere. And what we see in this text from the cross is a sincere transformation that happened as this criminal recognized the king of the Jews who was innocent, but who chose to stay nailed to the cross so that you and I could experience salvation. So now are we, not only are we having to Recognize whether we're mockers or believers. Not only are we being called to accept those who may seem unseedy, those who may be in recovery, those who don't come in polished and looking as though they've been saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. We're also reminded that as a community, that it doesn't matter when we make the decision. It only matters that we make the decision. And that that decision is sincere. Jesus makes this proclamation and in verse 43. He says, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And what paradise had really come to mean in that time was this concept of a second Eden. It was this restoration of the Garden of Eden that had been destroyed or that had, had us been removed because of sin. This, this concept of paradise had become this thing that the Jews looked to. That it was this, this, this end of life place that those who had been faithful to Jesus Christ would go. This concept uh, reminds us to look ahead to something that is better and greater than what we experience today is this return to fullness is this return to shalom to peace is this return to what god had intended for his world but brothers and sisters i also think we must recognize and realize that oftentimes too many of us are too focused on what's ahead and not what's in front my mother used to always say sometimes you are so heavenly bound that you are no earthly good that, that we are so focused on the end, that we are so focused on the paradise that is promised that we forget about the kingdom here on earth, that God has called each and every one of us to live into and be a part of. That the kingdom here on earth uh, falls short of the glory of the paradise to come, but there's still beauty in it. And so I believe the other action that we are being called to as Christians, as believers, is to do everything that we can in being faithful to ensure that God's kingdom, though imperfect here on earth, 
is but a reflection of what's to come. Because the reality, brothers and sisters, is how can we help people here who haven't accepted the love of Jesus Christ understand what it means to be faithful today if all we can do is promise them something that's to come? What does it look like to create a community that's so rich, to create relationships with Jesus Christ that are so full that we get a glimpse right now of what it means to be connected eternally to Jesus. Because brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you the truth. That sometimes life gets so difficult, the promise of paradise doesn't help me right now. Some, sometimes things get so hard, thinking about the paradise to come doesn't necessarily help me get through the day. But what does is remembering and experiencing God's love through my relationship with you. And I wonder how that helps other folks. How many of you can say that in some of the the worst times of your life, the most difficult points of your life, that you were able to pick up the phone and call a brother and sister in Christ and say, hey, I just need you to pray. Hey, I just just need you to to sit with me. (laughs) That, 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 That paradise on earth... Sometimes it's the result of our relationship and our interaction with other. And I believe that Jesus was simultaneously both speaking to the criminal who was on his way to paradise, but also challenging those at the cross who believed, who were weeping, who were mourning and saying like, no, those of you who accept me today will experience paradise today. And yes, part of that paradise is something that's coming, but it's also here right now. Which is why Jesus taught the disciples to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That there is paradise here. And even though we hear wars and the rumors of war, even though we hear about murders and and the economy that's up and down, even though we hear about all of the stuff that challenges us today, we also hear about the birth of babies. And marriages. And marriages that sustain through hard times. And maybe marriages that have been broken up, but people find love again. And that's beautiful. We see people accepting Jesus Christ because before they necessarily understood what the scriptures were saying, they understood what it felt like to encounter other believers. That's God's will here on earth. To see the proclamation of Jesus Christ from the mouths of children. paradise here today. And brothers and sisters, that's what we are called to. To not just look ahead and look forward, but to look at what's here with us now. As Jesus proclaims to the criminal, truly I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise. The same promise remains for those who accept Jesus Christ now. Today you will be with me in paradise. He's making that invitation. He's making that promise. That today is both now and not yet. That paradise is both here and there. God is calling us. He's reminding us that we have a choice. Like those that were present at the cross to either make the work 
on the cross or to believe and allow that belief to shape our lives. That he is calling us as a community to accept those who accept him. And he's reminding us that what we've done hasn't mattered, doesn't matter. When we accept him, doesn't matter as long as it's sincere. And he's calling us to enjoy and wrestle with what it means to be in paradise today. Amen? So I ask you to join me in prayer this morning. Gracious and heavenly Father, we are coming before you right now uh, dear Lord, with both uh, the, the immense joy that comes from knowing that we have been saved by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, even as we look to the communion table in front of us, but also wrestling with and living in the tension of knowing that each day that passes, many of us are suffering, the Lord, suffering from illnesses and what it means to to maintain hope and faith when the doctors say that there is nothing else that we can do. The Lord, we know ultimately that you have the final say. But the Lord, in those moments, we ask that you just grant peace and you grant comfort, dear Lord, and you remind us of your deep, immense love. The Lord, as many of us make our way back to recovery after surgery. There's still several of us in the congregation uh, from knee replacements to uh, nerve surgery and hands, dear Lord, to prostate cancer removal, dear Lord. Um, We pray that you are just with our recovery every step of the way. That not only do we uh, meet the timetables that have been given to us by Dr. Lord, but that we beat them, dear Lord, because we know that you can do more than we ask. And even though Uh, the doctors perform the surgery, Lord, we know that you were in the room. So be with us. Dear Lord, for those of us who are mourning the loss of parents, dear Lord, for the family of Alice Saltzman, dear Lord, and Karen Conway, dear Lord, we just ask that you give supernatural peace and understanding that surpasses earthly understanding, Lord. Dear Lord, give us the ability in these moments to reflect lovingly on the lives that was lived. Dear Lord, to be reminded of sweet memories, dear Lord, of the life lessons that they have learned, dear Lord, of the things that they have been taught, and all the ways that their lives have been shaped. Dear Lord, we know that we all grieve in different ways, the Lord, but we just pray that, 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 we, that, that our sisters, both Alice and Karen, have a space to grieve in the way that they see fit, the Lord, to cry when they need to cry, the Lord, to shout out when they need to shout out, to be surrounded by love when they need physical presence and to be able to have a space to be alone. The Lord, but we also rejoice because we, we know that both Paul and Patricia were believers, and so we already know that today they are with you in paradise, awaiting your return. So we rejoice, Lord. 
And for our sister Dana, all the way on the other side of the country right now, the Lord, we pray that this sickness that she carries right now was just a simple infection, dear God. And that the, the, the antibiotics that she is taking will begin to clear this up and she'll be restored to health. And dear Lord, for all of those who have been affected, dear Lord, by illness, dear Lord, we just pray for recovery and restoration. And dear Lord, for the needs and the concerns that have not been spoken and have not been shared, dear Lord, we know that our words fall short anyway. So dear Lord, search our hearts. Listen to the words that are spoken by our tears. Because we know that you are already working. So we say thank you. We love you. We lift you up. And we put all of these things in your hands. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.